you lead us into it? Because I'm like, I'm on the tail end of this tech stuff. Yeah. Um, AI, sex dolls. So, I don't know what to say. That's just not like hard no to all of it. But, but. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. You know, and I... I have started my research. I'm doing a research project. I'm a McNair scholar at university and I'm doing a summer research project on artificial intelligence, sex robots, and the pivot that uh, is happening in society away from having human to human relationships. Uh, I of course think that's extremely concerning. Uh, it seems like from the research that's out right now, that women are going more into lesbian relationships, same-sex relationships, and even relationships that are non-sexual, like moving in with girlfriends. Uh, and men are, there, there's a segment of the population of incels, um, men who are involuntarily celibate, that's what the term incel means for those who don't know, there's a segment of the population. Hang on, is there a difference between involuntarily celibate and hard up? Uh, I think involuntarily celibate is the uh, self-identified title. And it's more of a clinical term that I think has now been adopted into psychology and psychiatry. Um, but I don't know that for sure. That's just my opinion. Okay. But I think what's, happened and of course this all goes back to pornography <laughs> that men have gone into this um state and i think a lot of it has to do with the age range that some men have never had a relationship with a woman and so their go-to has been pornography that's kind of how they've developed sexually and so uh, it's very hard to pivot if you've never had a relationship in high school, you've never had a relationship in college, to then suddenly wake up one day and become, you know, a full-grown alpha male and have a relationship with a woman. So what these men are doing is they are shifting towards artificial intelligence, avatars, and if they can afford it, because they tend to be kind of pricey going into the space of getting a sex doll or a sex robot, mm -hmm. they th I think that they start around $6,000, kind of somewhere in that range, and go up to about $30,000 with the artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, but prices are going down, and there are people who sell them used. <laughs> So, so you imagine buying a used sex doll well you know you can remove the vagina and the anus and the mouth and have those replaced so that part is brand new um, that's great i can't wait till they can do that with women <laughs> well you know that's the sad part is that you know, for some men, this has become a replacement for any type of real human contact. And if you look historically and culturally at different cultures, dolls have played a very integrated part in the Japanese culture. So I'm Since studying- Since when? Since when? Uh, uh, dolls have been in the Japanese culture for thousands of years. Do dolls have been used 
as a form of um, anthropomorphizing uh, spiritual energy. So dolls are used uh, if you have bad spirits or you want to uh, put any negative energy in something that these things would be placed in a doll. Okay. So historically and culturally, dolls are very significant in the Japanese culture. So I am studying the difference between Japanese culture and their relationship with dolls and American culture and American relationship with dolls, specifically men and sex dolls. So it's a lot. Yeah, the Japanese, I mean, it just strikes me as so infantilizing from like, to, like, I get that that's Japanese culture, but they're the ones who are into like bondage and Hello Kitty at the same time right. for, for adults. So like, is this a healthy fetishization of dolls the way it's being incorporated in Japanese culture? Like, are we using them as models for how we want to be? I think it's a form of a displaced loneliness and anxiety. And I think the, the, if you look at the birth rates in the past five years in Japan, they've plummeted and they're the lowest that they've ever been. So, you know, in their culture, very similar to American culture, you know, it's all about success in academics, success in career. And so, because women have shifted more into the career space, women's focus has become more on becoming educated and uh, and being high uh, high achieving in career. So what ha that's done for men is that men have this void that they're attempting to fill. And so the doll comes into place with that. Now, again, this is nothing new, you know, Japan in many ways is 10 to 20 years ahead of us in many aspects of their uh, progress um, with technology, their progress in behaviors. And in some senses, they're kind of showing us where American culture is going. And so the idea of marrying an avatar, the idea of having a relationship with AI is becoming, while it is still see, uh, kind of viewed as being strange, it is more accepted there than it is here in the United States. And so men are more forthcoming about um, having these types of relationships. I think what I found most interesting about it is the why. That's really what my hypothesis is, is that men are going into these spaces because of a desire for control in a relationship. That they can't have the porn star looking woman that they want. And if that is what they're used to masturbating to, and that's where all their sexual energy is going, is in that realm, then they're not really looking to have a relationship with what would be considered a normal looking woman, someone who maybe isn't as attractive as a kind of pornified woman. So the doll manufacturers are really bending to that look. While there are some dolls that are now being made with stretch marks and a little bit overweight perhaps, or uh, moles or tattoos, 
the pro the prominent type of doll or or the the most um, average looking doll is going to be kind of a pornified version of a woman. So large breast, tiny waist, these you know overinflated mouths, um, always with the long hair, and you know, and very very um, kind of a cartoonized version of a woman. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the interesting part is in this segment, there are two specific types of men's relationships with these dolls. One relationship is seeing the doll as just a sex object. So, so basically it's another masturbatory tool. Then there's a segment of this population that sees the doll as a, as a surrogate or replacement partner. Now that seems to be valuable and valid when we're thinking of lockdowns and isolation and loneliness and people really wanting to feel connected to something. Yeah. And yeah. They've, got, they've gone into that space where they took the lockdown seriously and they didn't leave their house for three months. And, you know, there were people who did that. I, I knew people who hadn't left their house in a year and were getting, you know, spraying everything with bleach and getting deliveries and wearing masks alone in their home. This is how cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, some people went down that rabbit hole. So in cultures where, it, like communal cultures like Japan, if there's a lockdown, people are going to adhere to that. They're not going to be running around the streets. And so there were people who were living in that world who weren't leaving their homes. And the level of, of isolation and loneliness skyrocketed. So some men went into the space of getting these dolls. And the issue is that you would think, well, if someone is seeing this as a surrogate partner, that they're going to be kind and loving to this doll. They're, they're going to be affectionate with the doll and not abusive. But what some of the, not all, but some of the research has shown is that these men who use the doll as a surrogate partner are actually abusive to the doll. So we're talking about choking and slapping um, probably some verbal abuse happening. And my concern with that is not that it's, you know, the man is experiencing these feelings of frustration and upset. My concern is that these things are a rehearsal to go out and then abuse women and children. So I think that's something that really needs to be examined and addressed is the pathology behind someone who wants to abuse a doll. Like what, you know, I think that that person probably needs some counseling and some, some mental health um, intervention. Um, I'm not saying they're crazy. I just think that there's some, some unchecked emotional um, injury that's happening that they need to examine and they need to, to, have a place to express that, it, you know, a safe place to express that where they're not castigated, it, but it's dealt with, you know, so that's kind of the, the crux of where 
my research has gone, but you would be surprised, Annie, how prevalent the surrogate um, sexual partner has been throughout history. There's something called a Dutch wife, which was basically an inflatable type pillow that had a vagina. And it looks like a woman with her, you know, of course on her stomach and the bottom part is like the ass with the vagina available. And these were used on ships for men that were going on long journeys. So again, this is not a new thing that has just occurred within the past 15, 20 years. Historically, men have tried to find ways to relieve sexual tension and dolls, handheld devices. These things have been used for, for as far as we know, for thousands of years to mm -hmm. some degree or another. Mm -hmm. um, so here, here are the things that are coming up for me. One is like, it's for, in my mind, it's impossible to talk about Japanese culture without referencing Hiroshima and what a traumatized culture this is. Um, and, and so like a post Hiroshima culture versus pre now it, it hasn't been the most empowering culture for women. Um, but I just, you know, years, years ago when I was writing for the LA weekly, I did a cover story on Murakami. And so I realized there was no way to understand that art and all the sort of like, um, childish visuals that populated it without understanding the trauma that this culture had gone through and how the trauma um, was leaning on these like toys and dolls and animations and whatnot um, as part of their healing process. That makes sense. I'm also like, this is something that I started to realize in the past few years is like, you know, we can very much, we can see very clearly through like Me Too and Time's Up and all of that, the, the sort of female resentment towards men and that anger, but I don't really hear as much talk about men's hatred and resentment of women. Um, and because we don't talk about those things, and sure, they're like the odd men's groups, but we see it leaking in these really unhealthy ways where it feels like it would be wiser to open up a larger cultural conversation about what we're so pissed at with one another you know, and really move through that in a healthy way. And then the other piece that's coming up for me is just the absolute over the top sexualization of women in our culture and how in 2023, we're still doing it to ourselves. And, and if we don't say no and stop putting our tits and ass there 24 seven, like that's our only value or our primary value, then how are we to expect the men in our culture to follow suit. And, you know, I had a girlfriend in town last weekend and she's really into Kelly Brogan. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't get behind the like naked, you know, scantily clad pole dancing on Instagram. I don't, that doesn't feel empowering to me. I don't feel like we need more of that. And I feel like there's a time and a place, but I, I also feel like there's a larger conversation for us women to be having where it's like, why do I need that external validation for my tits? And why am I constantly presenting myself like this? And what do I need to fill in myself um, so that I know that I have more value than this? And even like I was at a party and I, you know, this is how I dress. I like the way I dress. 
and I was we wearing baggy jeans and some guys like nice jeans, great sag. And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Is my ass supposed to be on display for you 24 fucking seven? And, and guys say this stuff to me all the time. You know, I was hanging out with a friend over the weekend. He's like, you're too skinny. And I'm like, I never comment on my male friends bodies ever. I never comment on how they're dressing or whether I'm seeing enough. But that is a like a constant for us women. So it's not hard for me to see where that would be transferred into dolls and handheld things and whatnot when we are dehumanizing ourselves with our daily presentation. Yeah, I think that, you know, I went through this period where I was following people like Kelly Brogan. Um, you know, she is someone who worked very closely with um, Ali Zek and helped Ali Zek get off of benzos. And, you know, Ali Zek really championed Kelly Brogan as being, you know, kind of this bastion of healing and health in the psychiatry space and kind of being the, like the next move toward, you know, I wouldn't say new age psychiatry, but maybe, you know, just a new, a new day in psychiatry. And so I started, uh, you know, following her on Instagram and kind of going into her space on her site. And she charges exorbitant amounts of money for her uh, products that she offers, like her, you know, just in the health space. I just, it, you know, it's, it's amazing how much money she was charging to, to um, get into like her recipes and how she cooks and, you know, just like her whole health modality. And so I always get, I just have a visceral reaction with that. When I see that, I'm like, okay, so you're trying to heal wealthy people. <laughs> you're not really interested in healing the masses. You, you have a very specific segment of the population you want to work with and that's fine. Great. You know, God bless you. Go for it. Uh, but the concern for me with what she's doing is she is uh, positing that self-sexual object self-sexual objectification is a form of empowerment. And I have a real problem with that. Not only as a woman, but as a human, I have a problem with that because what that's telling women, is again, your only value is how um, sexual you can be in a public sphere, A, and B, what that's telling men is a woman's only value is how sexual she's willing to be in a public sphere. You wanna have a stripper pole in your studio, you wanna dance for your husband, you wanna dance for yourself, go for it. But she has daughters. I know at least one daughter. What is she teaching her daughters by doing this? Is she saying that being a stripper is empowering or by sexualizing your body and the way you move and doing that publicly is empowering? I don't think that's empowering at all. I think that that in many ways is taking us back to an age, you know, where women are only as valuable as someone else sees them. 
I would have a different perspective about that if she was doing that privately and not posting it on social media. And now I know she's put some of that stuff, and this is kind of when I when I got off the train. I know that she had started to uh, she'd taken away comments where people couldn't make comments on her page, and she also put some of that stuff behind a paywall because she was getting so much negative feedback. And I would say, you know, if you're getting negative feedback, it's not your job necessarily to listen to what people are saying, but maybe there's something that they're saying that should potentially resonate with you because you're a psychiatrist and, and you know, how is this, how are people going to value the work that you are doing if that's the only, if it's a one note symphony, you know? So that's my, my feeling. If she wants to do that again, that's not my business. It's also not my business to be forced to watch that. I just don't find, you know, I have had girlfriends who taught, who were um, strippers who didn't consider themselves sex workers, who were in that space, who taught classes to women, um, like how to be a stripper classes. And I just, to me, I just thought what maybe what you should be teaching a woman is how to value her intelligence. Maybe what you should be teaching a woman is how to educate herself outside of the sphere of um, sexual energy. And that's not to devalue uh, someone's um, personal sense of their own um, sexual being, but I don't need that. I don't think that that's an overarching message that women need to continue to have. To me, it, it's just, it's a little bit I think it's boring I mean, to be completely honest. It's like really another stripper class, another, you know, like how, how in the fuck are we gonna ever evolve as a species if we don't give ourselves the room to evolve? And that's really my, my sense of that. I think misogyny uh, is not just a male construct. I think women, are capable of misogyny as well. And so if you have any kind of criticism about women, then if you don't own kind of what you're saying, then that can come off as being misogynistic. Where, where I speak is what's, what's okay for me. I'm not telling anyone, I'm very much a libertarian, live your life, do you, but I don't think that it's pushing the conversation forward for us to keep re-entrenching and bolstering this type of um, objectification. I don't think it's helping anybody. I think men have become afraid to speak openly about how they feel about women. And so all of these mis misogynistic tendencies that they have has gone into spaces like chat rooms and forums and 4chan and reddit and you know there's a lot of discussion of like rape fantasies and fan just a real hatred of female energy and so much of that is because 
I think men feel trapped in this idea that they can't express themselves in a way that may maybe be perceived as being unhealthy. And so they can't talk about their anger. They can't talk about their rage. Uh, you know, I think it's really important that people have the ability, like I just see an overarching sense of uh, mental health problems. I think there's a lot of people who are walking around that are deeply, deeply damaged and they have this sense that they have to project this perfect life, you know, and that's what the part of social media that I really find the most destructive is that you don't see people posting fucked up hair, face, tired, you know, really talking about what is really going on. These influencers are, it's, it's this uh, aspirational life that we're all supposed to be achieving. And if we're not there, then what's the level of depression that we're experiencing that we're not really talking about? And I think that's the damage of that. Um, but I definitely think that there is this undercurrent of misogyny in our culture that is that goes across the spectrum of uh, color lines and uh, you know it goes across the spectrum of um, finances and there's all kinds of biases that fall into that where you know if you're a woman and you express anything other than joy then you're angry and well I think some people have a right to be angry I don't think that we need to be repressing that but I think we need to again we live in this what I call makes me feel culture which means that the world is responsible for my state I'm not responsible for myself it's everyone else's fault if I'm upset and I need to be constantly validated by other people and I think that's what's fucking us I think where we need to kind of change our language is instead of saying, you're making me feel uncomfortable, saying something like, I feel uncomfortable right now and owning our own state as opposed to projecting the responsibility for who we are on other people. A thousand percent. I mean, it's straight up wrong use of will, you know, and I reference those book series a lot, but I feel like that make me feel culture like it's a deliberate um engineering to make us more and more emotionally retarded because if i not only take no responsibility for my feeling state have no practice taking responsibility for my feeling state and now have a culture that validates that way of being while at the same time outlying being triggered wherein if I'm not triggered, I'm not gonna be able to see where my unintegrated trauma is for me to do that healing for myself, right? So there's value in triggers. It's not to say, you know, be abusive or reckless with them, but now that we have this, you know, kind of woke uh, policing that makes it that if I trigger you, I'm the bad person who will now be canceled, that actually does you a disservice because there's no opportunity 
for us to to heal these parts. So and I, I see that as being extremely deliberate. And I also see, you know, what's going on with the women coming straight out of Tavistock, you know, the, the, the trans op seems straight out of Tavistock, which was, you know, part of in its mission statement was to grade degrade women. Um, and so, you know, when you have women who are constantly presenting themselves as these sexual objects 24 seven, and then, you know, the rare occurrence to spend time with one and she's not good to go like a fuck doll that you would buy on the internet, you might get pissed, you know, because that's been the indoctrination that that women are like this all the time. It's one of the issues I have with, you know, the optics of the trans movement. I don't see a lot of people transitioning to become a woman and wearing jeans and T-shirts. It's push up bras. It's mess. You know, it's all that like regressive shit that we we left behind long ago. And you know, I, I don't watch, it's very rare that I'll watch modern movies because anything post-2013, you know, when Obama got rid of the Smith-Munt Act is just such a propaganda fest that, it you know, it's a little too much for me. But I love movies from the 70s where, like, the beautiful women were fully clothed. You know, they wore turtlenecks and it was... It wasn't the way it is now. And I had taken a big break from watching the news years and years ago. I remember being at lunch in some restaurant that had the, the news on, and I was shocked at how the female newscasters were dressing as though they were going to like a club on a Saturday night. Like it used to be professional, like silk blouses and blazers. And now it's like strapless tops. And I mean, it, it's gone to the total cuckoo place. And I really feel like that's just feeding into you know, the sex dolls and the porn and the all of that, because we're playing into that. I did hear Kelly Brogan say on Aubrey Marcus that she had two daughters and that sometimes she'll see them get dressed to go out and she thinks they're too exposed, but she won't say anything because she doesn't want to interfere with their expression. And I'm thinking, well, that's pretty dangerous, <laughs> you know? Um, so, I mean, it's not to say, I don't want to take us too far away from AI and from sex dolls, but I'm just looking at the whole landscape being such a mess that I'm not surprised to see men embracing these things when we ourselves are complicit. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, in terms, I have two teenage sons, uh, 16 and 13 going on 14 and with them, it's so difficult to, to want to micromanage behavior because you don't want to highlight it. You don't want to put too much energy or attention there if it's not necessary. So with us, basically, it's like you can wear whatever you want. You want to wear a gorilla suit when you go out in the world. You want to wear your pajamas you want to do whatever go for it uh but it's not hypersexual clothing so it's not really triggering attention that is unwarranted you know so that i think for for boys it's kind of a different conversation than for girls um totally different it's totally different so when you're talking about you know a teenage girl going out in you know a sports bra or short shorts or you know just exposing a lot of 
their body. I think as a parent, what I would say to that child is, because they are still a child, I would say, do you understand the attention that you're going to get from people that maybe you don't want their attention? So I would intervene in that way because again, I don't want to micromanage my child, but I want to make them aware that people may be looking at them that they aren't really trying to attract. And I think it's really important as a protector of your child to do that. That's really your job as a parent is to have those uncomfortable conversations. You know, I wore leather jackets and blood red lipstick in the middle of July when I lived in Arizona. You know, I dressed very, you know, emo and I was goth and these are all costumes we're trying on, you know, when you're gr growing up and even as an adult, your clothes are a fucking costume. I, I would be so, I can't imagine someone having the balls to say something to you about your jeans at a party. It's like, who in the fuck do you think you are to try to, uh, you know, check in with me to see whether or not my jeans are tight enough? Like, you know, are, are you supposed to be walking around in a bikini all the time because you have a good body? Like, what is that? What are, what are the messages that men think they are um, capable of giving women all the time? Like, whose fucking job is it you know, are you going around? I know you're not. I'm certainly not. I'm not going around observing what men are wearing. I think it's kind of unconscionable how people dress these days and the lack of um, effort people put in. You know, when I go to campus and I see all these girls walking around in their fucking pajamas, I just want to say, like, don't you have any self-confidence that you want to like wake up in the morning and I'm not saying that you have to wear a ball gown but it's a little bit weird how checked out people are I think as far as putting any effort into how they they present themselves so it becomes this extreme we're either dressing like street walkers or we're dressing like we've literally just rolled out of bed so there's the, where's the fashion <laughs> in any of that? So, you know, again, I'm not walking around saying, what the fuck are you wearing? But I am curious about the lack of uh, presentation, you know? So I think that's just kind of an interesting thing that's happening right now is that the costume is at these two extremes. It's no effort whatsoever to, ultra effort that just doesn't seem appropriate for the context of where you're going so you know I don't know I think people are so fucking confused and they don't have a sense of where they are in their own lives and so it's easier to project everything out in the world and blame the world for your state, as opposed to having these moments where you look inside and say, okay, who am I? What am I about? What are my values? What's my morality? What, what do I care about? You know, so, you know, I think a lot of this stuff that's happening with the men is just 
this unchecked, repressed anger and self-hatred and hatred for women that is being um, unpacked in these very unhealthy ways. And I don't know how we move away from that other than having a, an insane amount of empathy and self-love and really kind of working on ourselves to, to really uh, kind of elevate the frequency and raise our own standards. I think that's the only thing we can do. Uh, going into the space of being a, a psychologist and really taking that seriously, I want to afford men the ability to express themselves and do that safely and also, you know, help them create a foundation where they can have healthy relationships with another human being. Because I don't think in the long term, the men that are having relationships with dolls or avatars are happy. You know, there was one example in this, uh, you know, mid lockdown, this Japanese man who married an avatar that, it, it, again, it's a cultural thing where they have these avatars that sing. So it's actually artificial intelligence that they've created. They've manufactured this voice and, you know, this man was getting bullied at work. He was a school, worked as maybe an administrator in school. And there were two women at the school who were just relentlessly bullying him. And he became extremely depressed. So someone who's not successful in relationships, who again, feels kind of backed into a corner, this person goes out you know, on his computer, he finds this artificially intelligent avatar. And, you know, this is someone, it's much like the movie Her, like someone who is, this avatar is having relationships with thousands of people, male and female. And the guy ends up, you get your own specific serial number for this avatar. He ends up marrying the avatar has a ceremony, 39 uh, people come to the ceremony, you know, just really, you know, in so many ways, it makes me so sad to think that this person is so isolated emotionally and physically. So he goes to work one day and he comes home and the company that's made the avatar has discontinued the avatar. So, it's, you know, on his computer, it says, um, cannot log on anymore. So all of this energy he's put into this, you know, zeros and ones is gone. Now, it's easy to make fun of that and say, oh, God, what a loser. What an asshole. Like, you know, obviously you've put your yourself into the situation where something has control over you and can pull that control over. But what does that say about where we're at as a human race that this is the option and that seems like the best option for him as opposed to him dealing with his pathology and dealing with his you know, lack of social skills and 
you know, he's he lives in a culture that is a communal culture, but he's very isolated in that communal culture. So he's not feeling like he can go to a bar and meet a woman. He can't go on, you know, to a Tinder or a Bumble or one of these sites and and have try to have a relationship with a girl. So this is his best option. And this is the option he feels most comfortable with. And I do agree with you that there is a infantilizing aspect of the Japanese culture in many ways in women and in men. So men are very emasculated and that could be the Hiroshima effect for sure as a culture. But women also are uh, hyper-feminized and they're put in this day and, and um, homosexuality is very uh, looked down upon and that this is not part of their, their culture. So they are kind of experiencing this other extreme where in our culture, everyone's homosexual. You know, if you listen to the media, we're all gay. We all have these proclivities. Uh, we just haven't come out yet. In their culture, that's very frowned upon. So of course, if you want to live, you know, a heteronormative lifestyle, you're going to choose to be in a relationship with an avatar because that's the closest thing you can get to being with a female. So I just think that there's a lot of confusion and it does definitely feels like it's by design. It definitely feels like there is some um, driving force that is really working to destroy the family unit as a whole, that's working to destroy our identities as and our gender and our biology. And I think there has to be some degree of pushback against that. Again, you wanna put on the costume of the girl and you have male genitalia. I'm not gonna step into that illusion with you and I'm not gonna affirm your delusion. I think if you need to be affirmed, then that's the, that's the red flag that you should have in yourself is that you need the world to affirm you. Affirm yourself. You wanna be a, a woman? You're never gonna be a woman if that's not your biology. Don't expect the world to stand in that delusion with you. Don't need that. Dress how you want, do what you want, but do it of your own accord and don't feel like you need the world to stand with you. We don't need representation. What we need is higher standards. We just need higher standards for ourselves and we need higher standards for each other. And that's really what I'm promoting. And none of this is about hating anyone. I think that we should acknowledge biology because if we wanna trust the science, that is the science. The science is biology. We need to acknowledge that and then don't try to be the other, be your own thing, <laughs> you know? Just be your own thing, be whatever that is. So that's kind of my, my take on all of that. And I know that's not a popular perspective, uh, I know that it's, it's, there's a lot of psychotherapists 
and psychoanalysts that are absolutely terrified to talk about this. They're terrified because they don't want to have their licenses taken away. They don't want to be uh, on blast on social media. So they just get very tense when you start to talk about it publicly and privately, they will say, I agree with you. Like I, I took biology in, in school and I know that there are only two sexes and there's a very, very tiny, tiny percent of the population that is intersex that, you know, hermaphroditism is a very, very small segment of the population. And to act like that's the norm, again, that's just part of a delusion. Completely, completely. I feel like, you know, when you're bringing up the need to validate that someone has decided that they're another gender or whatnot, I feel the same about Kelly Brogan on Instagram. It's like, if you need that and that's empowering for you, great, we don't need to see it. And I think it speaks to this D, like, the removing of the sacred from our sexuality and from sex in general, that it's all just like thrust out there for everyone to see. I feel the same when I see, you know, the rainbow sticker on your, you know, on someone's car. It's like, I don't need to know that. I don't care. It's, it's irrelevant. It's super private. Yeah. I think when we're talking about Japanese culture, which, you know, I think is interesting is in my mind, they're one of the most repressed cultures, right? And one of the most fucked up when it comes to merging sex with violence, with, you know, centuries and centuries of repression and foot binding and all of those things, you know, it's more disturbing to me that these things are now here in the States where I'm like, wait a minute, we're a totally different culture, but we, we do seem to be adopting these things. And I think you're right. I think it does come out of porn. And I think, um, online dating is also a big part of it in terms of people being less and less practiced at inhuman engagement, at putting themselves on the line, you know, men saying, I'm really attracted to you. Can I get your number? Like, that's not happening. It's easier for them to swipe and see if they get a swipe and, you know, see if they get a like or whatever before making a move. Um, so, yeah, and I do think that that's completely by design when it comes to you know, I, I really like your approach about asking a teenage girl, like, are you aware of the type of attention that you're going to get from this? Because I think that uh, young girls aren't taught about the biological differences between men and women. So if I see, you know, a grown man or a young man in short shorts, yeah, like I might think that's nice, but I'm not going to like, there's not going to be a rush of blood into a penetrating rod that is so strong, you know, that's, that's animated by pure life force, procreational energy. That's all of a sudden going to be skitzing out my brain. Um, and, and making correct decisions. Men and women are wired totally differently. You know, we see an attractive man and we're like happily ever after la la la, they want to penetrate it. And when that, response is happening all day every day bus benches billboards advertising the way women are presenting themselves like i think that's something that we would be wise to talk about and like be really honest about and and for us to you know check ourselves like why do i need that attention all the time it's fine if it's you know one form of expression in the wheelhouse if it's a choice in my wardrobe but if i need to do that every single day um do i think i have no value other than my sexual appeal 
And I think that this is a conversation that both men and women need to be having. And I think for so many years, women are like, dudes need to fix themselves. We could just do whatever we want. Um, And we're not acknowledging that that's contributing to the degradation of the sexual landscape. As far as solutions, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I think that what's unfortunate is that a lot of this is so subliminal and a lot of this is happening, you know, you talked about watching films before 2013. This has been happening since the beginning of films. So the way women's bodies are shot is different than how a man's body is shot. So we uh, objectify women in parts. So we see them as disconnected body parts, as opposed to seeing the totality of a woman's body. So right. in scene what you're going to see is a breast or the ass or you know part of the neck or or a very hypersexualized um presentation of the body where in even even the notion of are you an ass man or breast man yeah just that right there why is that even a thing yeah and i think that that a lot of women are trying to Uh, kind of fit into the boys club by uh, having that same objectification for men. Women and men have a different uh, agenda when it comes to relating to each other. So what a woman's language is to be sexual is very different from what a man's language is to be sexual. So women need to feel, and of course I'm speaking in gross generalizations here, But across the board, women need to feel secure in order to feel sexual. Now, the difference for a woman is that there's myriad types of security. That can be emotionally secure, that can be physically secure, that could be financially secure. Uh, For man, a man has to have that visual attraction to someone. That's the part of that reptilian brain in order to feel sexual. So his security need is different from a woman's security need when they're looking at at a male-female connection. So I think that at, at the baseline, that's the first thing we have to talk about is if you're speaking Chinese and I'm speaking Greek, then how are we really connecting if we have totally different languages that we are trying to communicate with. And I think that that's one of the things that isn't really being addressed in the dynamics between men and women is that women have to be able to see, okay, I am projecting this image out when I go out into the world, but that's not the feedback necessarily that I'm looking to get. And so if that's not the feedback, maybe I need to rejigger how I'm presenting myself because maybe I don't want, maybe I'm just not in the mode where I want that type of attention. Uh, Again, as a libertarian, as someone who loves freedom, I think people should be able to wear whatever the fuck they want, but they have to understand the consequences of their own actions and behavior. And I think men are the the same thing. Like men have to understand the consequences of their behavior. I don't think that men are these knuckle dragging simians that can't control themselves, but I also don't believe 
that they should be subjected to having to uh, be faced with things that are challenging to them all the time. I think there's gotta be some middle ground in that where men have responsibility for themselves and they know that they can't go out and speak any way they want or behave in any way they want and maybe look, you know, address why am I so angry at women? Why do I feel so, why do I have all these unchecked emotions and what can I do to uh, work through that? You know, because I think men are taught the only emotion that is acceptable for them to express is anger that that's really it. So that's what makes you macho is if you're mad or you're stoic or you're stern, you know, where women are taught that the only acceptable emotion for them to express is joy and happiness. And we can't be angry. We can't be upset. But again, it's not our job to project, project those energies on other people and blame other people for our states. And I think that's where we're at right now is that we've made the world responsible for who we are as opposed to looking inside and saying, what, what am I? What am I about? What's important to me? Why am I feeling like I want to dress in a specific way? What, you know? And that would be the conversation I would have with my daughter is, why do you feel that you need to dress like that or expose that that much of your body what what is it what are you looking for today you know and I think it's important for a girl to be able to say I want attention I want someone to look at me I want to be considered pretty I saw someone on social media that was wearing this and I felt a certain way when I saw her wearing that. So I want to feel what that feels like and see how I navigate the world. I think that's fair. Uh, but again, it's understanding the responsibility of our actions that I think is missing from this conversation. So that's the most important thing is what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And what do I hope that the world, how the world is going to respond to that. I agree. I, I mean, I think that's, and I, I mean, that would be such a beautiful way for you to open the conversation with a teenage girl to just, you know, not squelch it. You can't do this, but expand the conversation because we're also, you know, being fed this lie that there, there is no biological gender, which is completely untrue. And I think that that's another piece that we're seeing where, you know, in all the ways that the feminine has been devalued in this culture for centuries and centuries and centuries, and I'm not just talking about women, but I'm talking about emotion and intuition and those other, you know, feminine ways of being in terms of, of energetics and polarities. And I have heard this from so many men in my life where they're like, it's not worth it to deal with women because we're such a pain in the ass. They don't want to deal with our emotions. They don't want to deal with our moods. They don't want to deal with our hormones. So porn um, hookups from these dating sites and sex dolls, I think are a very natural outcropping of not wanting to deal with us and then culture being set up so that they don't have to deal with us. Because remember, when we were younger, you know, 
I remember for a guy to like see a nipple, you know, it was like, yeah, my dad had Playboy and some hidden VHSs, but it wasn't smeared everywhere. So a guy had to like take a girl to dinner and there were several dates and there was courtship and, you know, there was value in courtship because we're getting to know one another and showing each other how we show up. And then it was like, did you get to first base? Did you get to second base? Now it's like, you can see as many pink parts as you want, you know, with three little clicks. So for a woman to value herself and not be willing to throw it all out, well, that's already an obstacle because it's going to be so much easier to get that access on porn. Now when we're bonded and there are emotions and hormones and we're less and less practiced and there's less and less value or modeling of how to do that, I mean, it's, it's no wonder it's such a shit show out there. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about you know, female relationships is that women show up for each other when they've broken up in a relationship. (laughs) So for the most part, if you're partnered with somebody, you are with your man and you lose, like all of your female relationships kind of fall away. And so what happens is that the man becomes the conduit for any emotional baggage or any emotional unpacking that you have to do. And that's a lot of pressure to put on one person. That's a lot to put on a man. You know, men are not necessarily going to be wired to hear us kvetch and spill our shit every day. They just, that's a lot of emotional real estate that they may not have access to So I think part of this is understanding you have your partner, you have the person that you love, that you're sexual with, that you're intimate with, that you do share emotional stuff with, but then you also should have your girlfriends. You know, we need to really be showing up for each other in our female relationships and being there so that we can kvetch and we can spill our shit and we can go off and and we have those places to do that where all of the emotional currency isn't in one place. I think it's too much pressure for a relationship to be throwing it all in one bucket. So I think it's important that we have, you know, a broader spectrum of places, you know, that we have our girlfriends and we can reach out to them so that it takes a little bit of that emotional uh, heavy lifting off of the man so that, you know, you can be more than one thing to that man, but it's not that he's your psychologist too, on top of everything else that you are asking in that relationship. I think it's, it's got to be a two-way street though, that men have their access to their friends and they have a way to unpack their emotions. You know, men don't express themselves in the same way when they're with men. So they're not having the same types of conversations with men that women are having with each other, unless there's alcohol involved. And then you see bros hugging and, and they it's like the guard goes down where they can actually express themselves emotionally. But my husband is not picking up the phone and calling his buddy and saying, wow, you know, I had this fight with my lady and, uh, you know, we're going through this shit. It's like, 
he's got to figure out how to deal with that himself. And so that puts a lot of pressure on them to figure their own shit out. And we're adding to that payload by saying, okay, but you've got to figure my shit out too. So I think it's okay to kind of spread um, our emotions out amongst our friends and be able to have kind of a wider dearth of how we're expressing ourselves as opposed to just putting it in one spot and saying, well, I'm in a relationship and he's got to be my all. This, this is the Renaissance man that I'm with and he's got to be my psychiatrist and, and also my lover and also the provider and also the person who's the great father and you know the artist and the musician and the you know and the entertainer and it's too much for just one person so i think that has a lot to do with it is that we reach out to each other when we're desperate need as women of you know i've broken up with this guy and i've i'm freaking out or or whatever but how are we when we're in a healthy relationship are we reaching out in the same way i think that just we are spreading ourselves uh we're spreading our relationships too thin when we're relying just on one person for all of that and so i think that's another part of design is that what's happened is like couples how many couples are going to dinner with each other anymore and how many couples are actually commiserating and and having dinner parties or you know it's like that i think that's a part of what i grew up observing that i really saw brought a lot of joy to my parents is having people over you know going to someone's house you know really having a communal relationship as opposed to this isolated individualistic culture that we live in which is you either have to figure your shit out on your own, you're paying for therapy, or you're unpacking all of it on your man or your woman, and that's it. So I think it takes a community to raise a healthy human from childhood and even into adulthood. I think we really need each other. I agree. And I'm a big fan of, of interdependence that way of like spreading it out. And it is certainly a setup for failure to think that your man or your woman is going to be your everything. It's total, it's super unhealthy at the same time. And, you know, I'm Gen X, you're Gen X. It's like, I, so I see it mostly in Gen X. We're Pluto and Libra. We're post second wave feminism where a woman needs a man, like a fish needs a bicycle. So I see us as being, you know, like very far apart from one another. And I'm certainly not lobbying for us to be each other's everything, but we have to learn how to deal with one another. You know, it's like, if you're going to, if you're a heterosexual man and you're gonna be in partnership with a woman, um, you're gonna deal with these types of emotions and you have to have some sort of facility to deal with that. It's not your responsibility, but if you're just gonna defer to fix, 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 that's not gonna work. In the same way that if a man's browbeating, you know, if a woman's browbeating her man or emasculating him and not offering acknowledgement and appreciation and couching invitations for shifts with, you know, acknowledgement, that's also not gonna work. So I do think that there's a certain level where we need to learn how to deal with one another. And I'm thinking of, I was having a conversation with my friend Robert, and this was actually what inspired me 
you know, to suggest that we talk about um, sexual currency and how we we play on that. Mm -hmm. And he was asking me about, you know, a time that I had a little freak out with him at dinner. You know, he touched me on my back and I was like, I'm not like this is not sexual. Keep that shit away from me. And he had just had a similar thing with another woman and he was asking me about it. And my reaction was was overblown, right? But there was this unspoken sexual currency between both of us that for me was a little bit out of integrity and sometimes I'm a blurter. But when I said that to him, he was like, okay, no problem. And when we were replaying it, this was over a year later, I was like, actually the better way to handle that would have been for you to call me on overreacting and being a little bit of a brat and handling that better instead of kowtowing and acquiescing to the feminine hysteria that was actually kind of inappropriate. Right. You know, and that's where I'm talking about, well, we need to learn how to handle one another in a way that's going to work for one another. Not like, well, that's my own authentic reaction and I'm just going to keep spewing the way I feel like it. It's like, no, I'm in a heterosexual container. What's actually going to be most functional for this, which isn't always our organic go-to. Yeah. Well, and I think the way that a man's brain is wired is, and again, this is biology. This is, this goes thousands of years this is part of the reptilian brain it's the fixer so when they get a reaction like that the mode is how do i fix this not project that back on you and say you have behaved in a way that was not congruent with what happened you your the stimulus uh did not merit your reaction so right. i think that has a lot to do with it too is that understanding you know and i've i've told this to my husband before if i say to you jesus christ i have so much homework to do and dogs and this and that and i go through the litany of things that i have going on i'm not always asking for you to come up with the answer of how to fix that i may just be doing a data dump and 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 unloading and so sometimes I'm not looking for the solution. I'm just looking for the sounding board. And so where I come into that is that I need to understand that he's going to try to give me a solution, that that's innately how his brain is wired is problem, solution. Let's just keep it clean. Where I'm saying, I'm willing to do all those things. Sometimes I just need to vent just so that you know this is what's happening you know that i'm not just painting my nails and lounging on the patio all day long when you're gone at work i'm doing all of these things like i have a full plate so again i think this is part of being vulnerable and understanding sometimes we're going to get it wrong sometimes we're going to say the wrong thing we're going to you know express ourselves in a way that that isn't honoring who we really are because of hormones, because of, you know, some other seed that's in there that you haven't dealt with that, that is cropping up in your brain. And really being thoughtful about that and saying, you know, I'm a human being. I have problems sometimes that I don't know how to deal with. And I'm going to project those on someone else. But it doesn't mean that I'm um, totally damaged. Like, 
I'm flawed and it's okay to be flawed. I think, again, it goes back to this thing of like, we're trying to be perfect all the time and we're trying to say the perfect thing. We're trying to be the perfect person. And that the only way that we can grow is by making mistakes and acknowledging those mistakes and working through them. And again, not projecting those mistakes on someone else, but seeing our part in that. I think your friend reacted in a way that he thought was honoring you as opposed to calling you to the carpet and saying, you know, you overreacted and maybe I shouldn't have touched you in that way, but what's the way that we can navigate this where we both understand our role in that as opposed to me feeling like I have to fix it and you feeling like you are completely justified in the way that you react to it. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, and this will probably carry us into the, the other topic. I think it's, you know, a result of us being less and less practiced with one another, you know, which goes back to the AI and the sex dolls where it's like, we're so retarded with one another. And unless we stick with it, I mean, I can think of so many, you know, dating experiences where the first time, like my perfection slipped and I had like a real reaction, it was just done. Like it was just done versus like we don't have tools we can't stick with it and I think you know with my friend Robert it was a case of like me being out of integrity for however long I was playing the the like unspoken sexual currency of maybe someday to get the attention to get the free meals to get the whatever 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 and I just hit the wall on that um, in a really, you know, it, it was, it was a little thing, but it like, it was a little bit messy and just no, you know, I've been observing my life and like all the relationships with male friends, with male colleagues, where that unspoken possibility is a big part of how we are engaging. And I, I saw it so much when I lived in LA and when I was playing the Hollywood game, that was every thing that was everything you know i would have partners but go to parties by myself because it was like that would kill so many potential opportunities and you know seeing it with men in my life where like keep the maybes alive and don't share too much but then i've gotten pretty bald you know and i go in and out but also seeing when i'm really honest about it and i'm like this actually isn't gonna happen then our friendships really blossom because now we're being super real with one another. Now we can be more vulnerable about what's going on in other parts in our life. And we're not playing this pretend maybe thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful to acknowledge because I do think that that's the thing that, that we are, that's kind of the unchecked part of the dynamics between men and women that happen and you see it a lot uh again in, in kind of the social media dating space i had a friend that i lived with years ago and he said to me you know all women are crazy and i said well maybe what it is is how you are behaving with these women so what you're doing is you are planting these seeds of potentiality that she could be the one and you know whining and dining and trips and you know but you're doing this with 10 women so the second one of them gets hooked 
and buys into the sales pitch and she starts investing, then you back off and you go, oh, she's crazy. It's like, well, maybe what you're doing is crazy making. Like that, that's your role in this. And I think he was doing what, what you're talking about was the living in the potentials with all these women to see how many, you know, and again, all of the stuff, you can drill it down to self-esteem. He wants to feel lovable. He wants to feel that he's wanted. And so he's going to wine and dine and take you on weekends and treat you like you're the goddess and like you're the only one. And then pull the carpet out from underneath you when you get too close. And I think it's that maybe that women are so used to living in that space that they feel like they have to have a bunch of these maybes going on to be validated. 